Connell Tribune, 6th of February 2020. Election 2020, on a cactus the pricks are all on the outside. January's gone already, first month of the new decade, third decade of the new millennium. It's been a pretty hectic few weeks. Bushfires in Australia. I'm definitely convinced there are certain parts of the world where people weren't meant to live. Fires, floods, hurricanes, typhoons, tsunami. Antarctica, Gobi Desert, and Straban. Apologies to any Straban friends. Just been facetious there. I was thinking of a play I was at one night about Brian Keenan when he was kidnapped in the Lebanon. One prisoner said, this is the worst place I've ever been. The guy acting Keenan replied, you've never been in Straban then. The coronavirus in China is spreading worldwide. Scary stuff. While it's mostly located in the Chinese city of Wuhan, cases have been reported around the world, with two cases in England at the weekend. And the first death outside China. Despite the modern advances in medicine, there's a great possibility sometime in the future we'll be facing up to a pandemic similar to what the world experienced at the end of World War I, when more were wiped out by the Spanish flu than were killed in the war. The danger in the modern era is that immunity to antibiotics will leave the world exposed to something like a coronavirus, which will kill millions. Thus the frantic efforts to contain this latest virus. Coincidentally, while it's a really dangerous situation, there are always those who see the funny side of it. In a one-pound superstore in Pardick in Glasgow, they've sold 2,000 face masks in a few days after putting up a sign, Don't die, please buy. Glasgow gallus humour at its best. The RAC was back in the news after 100 years. Leo told Matt Cooper he realised now it was a mistake. And Charlie Flanagan appears to have been sent in garden leave since his rare decision to include the eyes and ears of her colonial friends as heroes of the revolutionary period. Charlie's garden leave might be extended going by the latest polls. The FAI implodes and Nell Quinn takes over. After the whole fiasco of the ending of the John Delaney era, there's a new feeling of hope for soccer in the country. Shane Ross went in to rescue the debt-ridden association to the tune of 30 million, spread between the bank, government and UFA. They're still not out of the woods yet with serious investigation into financial irregularities, but hopefully with qualification for the Euro finals and several games in Dublin as hosts. The ghost of Delaney should be exercised and get the soccer and general public back on side again. 31st of January saw our dear friends in the little offshore island depart Europe, with Boris and the Brexiteers dream of ruling the waves again, a fantasy of Disneyland proportions. Meanwhile, their union is in turmoil. After the next Scottish election, the Holyrood government will demand a new independence referendum and a return to Europe. Likewise, in the six counties, the majority voted to remain in Europe and a referendum in unity will be sooner rather than later. And within the term of the 33rd Doyle of Mary Lou becomes Tanishja. Brexit night witnessed Ryan Tuberty pull a surprise guest on the Late Late Show when Arlene Foster shared the couch with him. He gave her a fair grilling with awkward questions on the cash for ice scam and her views on a referendum for unity. 
She actually came across as an engaging guest and responded to the warmth of the audience with sincere memories of her brush with death during the conflict when the school bus was blown up in attack on the driver, a UDR man, and an attack on her father, an RUC officer. He was shot but survived at the house in the Fermanagh border. She told how she got on well with Martin McGuinness and Stormont and lost friends when she attended his funeral in Derry. It was an interesting discussion and she definitely came across as someone who had no problem sharing a bed with the Shinners. Maybe Leo and Martin might learn something from her. Elsewhere, the Donald faces impeachment. Wouldn't the world be a better place if it succeeded? In football appears that Liverpool and Celtic have their respective leagues won by St Bridges Day and Cora Finn made history with three in a row All-Ireland club titles. Our book club was reading The Ragged Trouser Philanthropist written by Irishman Robert Tressel, the iconic story of the plight of the working class at the start of the 20th century. The divide in society, inequality, homelessness, the political class were always doing well while his poverty in certain areas prevails. Corrupt landlords, solvent abuse, gangsterism, white-collar crime. Strange how some things haven't changed much in a century and highlighted on the election trail. Yes, it's almost upon us. The snap early spring general election of 2020 has arrived after a riveting of not pulsating few weeks in the campaign trail. Over 2.3 million of us will engage with the democratic process to an elect and eclectic group of politicos to the 33rd Doyle. 65% voted last time out, the lowest in Europe. Over 500 are running in 39 constituencies for the 160 seats, actually two more than last time due to an increase in population. Some would suggest there are plenty already, if not way too many on the gravy train. One positive move is the record number of female candidates, over 160. Considering we didn't have a female government minister from Countess Markovic in the first doyle until Mary Gagan Quinn in the 80s, it's a welcome development. Unlike our near neighbours and former Europeans, the UK, we use the PRSTV system single transferable vote rather than, than first past the post. It's a much fairer system giving a voice to the smaller groups rather than the electoral system used in Britain. The only possible negative is that it leads to various coalition partnerships which can be disjointed at best. Saying all that, despite using PR, we have over the past hundred years had the two parties of the Civil War taking turns in government, with some crumbs thrown to Labour, Social Democrats and Greens in recent decades. Coming to public in the 40s, Fin Gael and Fianna Fáil, of course, have been the largest party since independence, while Fianna Fáil was once the party of the working class, small farmers and republicanism. Fin Gael was seen as the party of big business, larger farmers, and indeed in Cavan, Monaghan and Donegal, the party for the rural Protestant and farmers or unionist communities in the Republic. Both parties have morphed into liberal conservative parties. There is little of any difference between them in 2020. This election has been dominated by the television debates. It's a modern way aligned with social media. The days of the cavalcade driving through Ross and the Kill, bonfires at the lagoon or a big welcome home gig in the grill are gone. It's all about stats. LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, blog posts, site activity, sharing, settings, Google, Google Analytics, 
The campaign manager on the political trail has his laptop fine-tuned, iPad and iPhone and autopilot. How many hits today? Interestingly, 50,000 has been spent on Facebook ads by the three main parties to date. But the TV debates brought the biggest viewing figures and the leaders to every 55-inch Sony in the country. First up, the heavyweight battle between Leo and Michal, which developed into a 15-round drawn encounter. But at least they survived for another day, despite allegations it wasn't exactly democracy in display. Next up was into the West as the best political interrogator bar none, the blonde bombshell Claire Byrne bringing the show to NUA Galway, and Iris McLean where generations of students sat exams and graduated. The seven leaders addressed a packed hall of academics, students and party acts, whilst another few hundred were gathered in the adjacent college bar, plus hundreds of thousands in RTE. Claire Byrne, in her usual polished self and not just her nails, delivered a very professional debate. She caught Leo on the hop by claiming that 40% of those availing of the housing help to buy scheme were scamming and didn't need it, part of the overall focus on the housing problem. Richard Boyd Barrett drew lots of audience applause while espousing strong socialist ideals to solve the problem. Whether the overall TV audience would agree is debatable, but he performed well. Mary Lou was brimming with confidence as she fired both barrels, couldn't resist that, at the Taoiseach and Fianna Fáil over their refusal to share a bed with her. Arrogant and obnoxious, and she probably won on points despite being like the other four leaders, a latecomer to the party. The third debate brought the political septet together in the Virgin Studios with Matt and Ivan. This was more like the old style debates or even a Saturday night in the lagoon in the 70s when you'd hear shouts of up Dev from Huey Barney or remember Mulcahy from the Cope. It was a boisterous occasion with the administrators nearly worse than the politicos. Auction politics, the HSE and Children's Hospital, social housing. There was a suggestion from Mary Lou of Fianna Fáil was the party of the developers, Flynn Gale is the party of the landlords. How many of you own your own house sparked the bankrupt Yates as if he didn't owe three and a half million since the tiger collapsed. But as P. Flynn was wont to say, you try and keep three houses. Brendan Howland evoked James Connolly, who founded his party, but would turn in his grave if he saw the shape of them today. Michael Martin found Wolf Tone helpful, expressing unity of the people when a border poll was dissected. It left Mary Lou dismayed to find out that, according to Michal, the Shinners were the biggest barriers to unity. Considering her physical force comrades have spent a big part of the last decade of the 20th century pursuing it, albeit not by television debates and social media. Nobody in the six counties needs a homily from you, as Mary Lou irked Michal, and considering he visited Derry for the first time before Christmas, and Fianna Fáil has never fought an election there since partition, there might be a point. It made one recall the great dairyman John Hume negotiating with British officials one time. He asked a Tory MP, do you know the difference between a cactus and a caucus? On replying he didn't, Hume added, and a cactus the pricks were all on the outside. The slight mayhem of an evening came to an end. Christ was where was Clare born when you needed her most. The two hyper noisy hosts almost entering a comparative Love Island jungle trying to ascertain who was sleeping with who at pre-election. Leo and Michal won't tango with Mary Lou, 
Boyd Barrett and Harlan might consider a left-wing menagerie trois. Mary Lou might flash her eyelids at whoever will accommodate her in government, but the best wing came at the conclusion. The Greens' Eamon Ryan, while exploring the scale of the climate and biodiversity crisis, was thrown down the Gulf Stream by assertions from Matt Cooper that he was politically promiscuous, followed up with a knockout punch, so you'll get into bed with anyone and they all seem to want to sleep with you. So it was off to Tuesday night and Miriam O'Callaghan genuinely grilling the prospective Tishi as to what the future holds for the most important people in all of us. We, the voters, despite the patronising palaver, have to put up with such nonsense from career politicians who have ministerial pensions and expenses in mind rather than helping those who need it most. Voters, ordinary people, those who get up early and those who are working at 15 and might now have to work to 70, you hold that precious little bit of paper in your hands as you give your number one, two and three and write down the list of prospective TDs. In a democracy, it's the most important thing in your possession. Use it wisely on Saturday.